0: Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can gather here this morning. We're thankful that we woke up. We're thankful that we can be together. My prayer now is for those of my friends who are here who would rather be somewhere else. May your spirit speak to them in such a way that they know that they were here for that purpose. For those who are eager to be here, for those who want to be here, Lord, my prayer is that you would use these words to continue to fill them and transform them and shape them. So now may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This year's Advent series, um, we decided, or I decided to title it, Following the Star, And the idea of following the star is that it's it's an action word. We're not just looking at a star and hoping, right, to go there, but we're actually following a star, actively moving. Now, 2,000 years ago, the story tells us that the Magi saw a star, and they followed it to the person, to the birth of Jesus. And the way I have helps me to understand it is that today there's another star that we're following and it's not a real star, it's not up in the heavens somewhere, but it's the person, it's the life, it's the teachings of Jesus. And so the reason that we're doing this this year is because we all know the story. Am I sounding kind of echoey? All right, let me try to figure this out. Okay, is this better? Do you want me to start over? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, geez, we already got a minute and a half in through it, Pastor. <laughs> Sorry, that was throwing me off. Um, the idea that if we just focus on the story of the birth of Jesus, I think there's a problem just to focus on the story of the birth because it, it, we miss out on the bigger teaching of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because we already know the story. There was no room in the inn, so they told Jesus and his parents that they had to... Sorry. I think, is this, is this, will this be good enough? Sorry, no. do I have to back up more? So, I'm not a seasoned preacher, so can we just bow our heads and pray one more time? <laughs> Heavenly Father, all of this technology stuff that is supposed to make our lives better, <laughs> um, may you somehow, miraculously, let it work with me this morning. We thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. A couple of weeks ago, or maybe a couple of months ago, I think in the beginning of November, there was this big, semi-big controversy, and some of you may have heard of it. Starbucks this year decided to go with red cups, as opposed to with, I don't know what was on there before, like Christmas trees? Well, I don't know what was on there, but there was other kinds of decorations on there. But I think to focus on that is the wrong thing to focus on. To focus on which city is going to allow a nativity scene and which which city is not going to allow a nativity scene is a wrong thing to focus on. Because I think in some ways as Christians, we make idolatry out of the story of the birth of Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. We love that God takes human form and becomes a human, right? But not just because he was baby Jesus, because the part of the story that makes all of the difference are the three years when Jesus turns 30 years old or so. It's the three years of Jesus' adult life where he comes to do what God sent him to do. And so as we go through the Advent season this year, we are going to look at some of the major things, the major teachings, and the purpose of what Jesus came to do. Because Advent isn't just about the birth of Jesus. It's what that birth represents. Now, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong. There's nothing good about it. Obviously, it's awesome. But I want us to focus on the deeper things of Scripture so that we can look at the bigger picture of what God is trying to do through him. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. And it'll be on the screen if you want that. And here's where, this, where we're beginning our story. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested... He withdrew to Galilee. We're not really sure why John the Baptist was arrested. No one really knows. All we know is that he was arrested, and now Jesus enters into the story, and he begins his ministry. And Jesus, ironically enough, we're going to see in a moment, preaches the same message that John the Baptist was preaching. If you look at Matthew chapter 3, and we don't have to go there, but the very beginning, John is preaching this message. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come Near That was the message of John the Baptist, and that would subsequently be the message of Jesus. And the story continues. He, meaning Jesus, left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan. What Matthew is trying to tell us here is that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. You guys remember the part that is a song that, that says that Jesus is the prince of, what is it? The prince of princes, wonderful counselor. What are the other words? Mighty, God, everlasting, Father, Prince of Peace. That prophecy is what Matthew is saying was being fulfilled in the birth and in the person of Jesus the prophecy told us that it was in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali from where the Messiah would begin his ministry. It was from that region that Jesus would come. It was one of these places in the first century where it was much like it is for us today. There was Jewish people living there. It wasn't, the, it wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't the center of everything religious. But rather it was off to the outskirts. So it's much like today where there was a lot of faithful Jewish people living there, but there was a lot of secularization happening. There was a lot of people that didn't believe in the God of the Jews. There was a lot of people who believed differently and had other gods. Kind of like where we live today. We are Christians who believe in Jesus. We're Christians that believe in God and the Holy Spirit. But does that mean that our entire nation and society believes the same way we do? No. So you see, we find ourselves in a similar kind of setting to where Jesus comes to preach the message. Jesus didn't go to the religious centers right away to preach this message. Instead, Jesus goes to the poor. He goes to the sick. He goes to the blind to preach this message of a new gospel, of a new kingdom that was beginning to, to, be, to flourish and right in front of their eyes. You know, it's interesting, Jesus... Well, oh, we're going to get to that point, so let me, let's just keep going on this text. And it says, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region, the shadow of death and light has dawned on them. So this is where the story begins to kind of pick up. The people who sat in darkness... I don't think I have to really give that many explanations or that many examples of how it feels how we today live in a time of darkness. I don't want to keep rehashing old stories, but just a few days ago, darkness set in over just 35 miles away from here, just right outside of Loma Linda in San Bernardino. Like we talked about last night, it's almost as though it's just become a normal part of society. We know there's going to be mass shootings. We know there's going to be terrorism. We know there's going to be homelessness. We know there's going to be all of these horrible and bad things, and it's almost like we have just said, well, it's just a normal part of existence. But we also know that just as in the time of Jesus, just as people sat in darkness because they were waiting for their messiah they were waiting for the one that would rescue them that would overthrow their their oppressors which at the time was rome just as there is in darkness there is always light and so as we think about the advent and as we think about jesus what does jesus say about himself i'm going to skip over a couple slides here so you can kind of see what i'm talking about what does jesus say about himself I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. During Advent, we are given permission to say that the darkness will not overcome our hope or the light that is Christ. It is during the season of Advent where we are reminded that even though things aren't the way they should be, that even though the world feels dark and even though it feels like there is no hope and things are only going to get worse, it is during the season of Advent where we are reminded of the words of Jesus that says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in what? Darkness, but will have the light of life. So you see, as Christians, we can sit around and we can complain about all of the bad things that are happening as Christians, we can complain about the evil that is happening all around us. We can complain about how our government isn't doing enough. But the truth is, is that for us to be true Christians living in the 21st century, in 2015, is that we must have the light of Christ within us. Jesus would also say, what, has, what John says, that what has come into reality, into being in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all people. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not, what, overcome. We can't focus only on the negative and say things are so bad, but instead, as Christians living in 2015, we must be the very first group of people that points to Jesus and say he is the light. He is the hope. And if we continue to follow Jesus, and again, the metaphor of Jesus as the star right, in 2015. To follow Jesus in this time is to trust him as our Lord and to trust that he will be king of our lives. Now, we're going to skip back a couple of, of these things here. And from that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, here's what, I, and I think you already saw that picture twice, so I want to show it to you again. Here's what Jesus was not saying. How many times have we, when I was in seminary, and, you know, in seminary we think that, you know, because we're learning stuff about the Bible and theology, we think that we know all the right answers and we have all the arguments to prove how other people are wrong. So, when I was in seminary... Um, for those of you who don't know, Andrews University is about 35 or 40 minutes away from Notre Dame University, like the Notre Dame, that awesome, right? Beautiful campus. And so we used to go over in that area because in Berrien Springs, they don't have very many, they don't have anything. They have one streetlight. So we would go out of that place and go over by Notre Dame because they had all the restaurants. You know, we would go and just study on the campus of Notre Dame sometimes because they had like these big student centers, and, and their student center had like six different restaurants that you can, like real restaurants, right? And so we would just kind of go and pretend like we were students in a, in a beautiful, historic university. But on Saturdays, we would sometimes go and just hang out there because it was beautiful, and there was always this guy who would stand out, and that's, it's not this guy, this is, this is something I pulled off the internet this, um, this morning, but there was always a guy that had this big sign, and he would say, repent. Repent, or you are going to spend eternity in hell. And I'd be like, but this, but this guy doesn't know, you know, whatever, right? Like, back then, I was like, Yeah, but you're probably going to church on Sundays. and uh, You know, like my old school way of understanding the world. So I got out of the car one time. And I said, what do you mean, repent or we're going to go to hell? And so I went on for probably 45 minutes arguing with this guy back and forth. And did I convince him? No. Because arguments like this don't ever help. I remember one time I was going to a concert and it wasn't even a bad concert. It was like, it was the band, I believe, was U2, right? Like, everybody likes Bono, right? He's always talking about Jesus. And so I was like, okay, first time ever I was going. And I remember there was people outside with these signs. And I remember they, like, like looked at me and they said, if you don't repent, you're going to burn. And I was like, what? I'm a Christian. Like, I already believe I'm a pa- I wasn't a pastor then. But I was like, I'm already, like, in. I've already given my life to Jesus. <laughs> signs like this arguments like this, judgmentalness like this, isn't ever going to bring people to Jesus. You see, Jesus wasn't telling us to stand outside of places and hold signs that tell people that if they don't turn, they are going to burn. The message of Jesus is actually more complex than just that. Repentance on one level If we remember the stories of Jesus, Jesus says that he comes to the lost house of Israel first. Jesus comes to the believers in the first century and he wants them to repent first and foremost as a whole. In the first century, the Israelites were, or the Jewish people, were expecting their Messiah to come with an army, with like a literal military army, come and overthrow Rome, Take all of them out of Jerusalem and allow the Israelites to, or the Jewish people to go back and make their home in Jerusalem. That's what they were waiting for. They wanted a king with a strong military to violently overthrow their oppressors. That's what they were waiting for. And so what theologians have been, and what I read this week was saying that on the first level, what Jesus was saying is that they had to repent of that understanding that the kingdom of heaven was going to be like that. What does Jesus later go on to say? He goes, you, th- you look for the kingdom of heaven and things that you can see, but the kingdom of heaven is within you. Those are the words of Jesus. You see, Jesus wasn't coming to establish a whole new government. We've all seen the stickers on people's cards that say, my kingdom is not of this world, right? We've seen that. What that means and what Jesus means by, by that is that his kingdom is not going to be like a government like anything we've ever seen. It's not gonna be a government that's like the United States government. It's not going to be a government or a political power, but rather the kingdom of God is something that comes from the ground up. And what I mean by that is our governments today are top down. Just tell us what to do. But the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus is what Jesus shows us as how to serve one another, how to love one another, and how to bless one another. So on the one hand, when Jesus comes to say, repent, and I know this sounds like, like, okay, pastor, like get past the theology of it already so we can get to how it matters to us. But that's the whole point. You see, our expectations of what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like, we always think that the kingdom of heaven is going to be sometime in the future far away. And so what ends up happening is that then we just focus on all the negative and all the darkness that happens here. But the Bible is clear is that although the kingdom of heaven, this eternity with God, will take place in the future, the first coming of Jesus begins something new as well. It's with the first coming of Jesus, this birth of Jesus and the season of Advent, is that we are reminded that God has not forgotten us no matter how bad things are. And we can have hope in that. And so on the one hand, Jesus is telling the house of Israel, repent of understanding the world in those terms, that we are just going to come and overthrow your oppressors. On a second level, it's something that's very individual. On the second level, when Jesus says repent, what he's really saying is that word, that word, in, the, that word in the Greek. I think my time's up. That word... <laughs> It's like those, you know, those shows, like those uh, variety shows where you lose and then they, like, cut off your mic. <laughs> I grew up, we grew up watching those in Spanish. Um, so, <laughs> on another level, on an individual level, the word repentance, metanoia, simply just means to turn. It just means to turn away from one way of living and live for another way. So when Jesus says for people to repent, What he is saying is it's time for you to no longer live just for your own desires, your own will, and your own pleasure, but now it's time for you to submit to the will of God. Because the best way to live isn't just a way to fulfill your own desires, your own passions, but rather to live for something that is bigger and greater than yourself. And this is how repentance happens. When you finally surrender to God... Notice that sentence, when you finally surrender to God. When you surrender to someone, is it something that you do out of your own free will, or is it that someone has been pursuing you? You see, the way it works is that God is continually pursuing you. This morning at our elders' meeting, we talk about the Holy Spirit of God kind of moving and living in us. And when we finally repent, or when we finally turn away from our own lives to living for God, it wasn't that we were just so, that we just decided that we were so awesome that now we want to live a better life, but it's that God was pursuing us already. That's the whole purpose of Scripture from beginning until the very end of Scripture is of a God who loves. Now, if you love someone... All right, all right, men, if you love a lady, are you just going to love her from afar? or probably that's the wrong word. If you like a lady, are you just going to like, say, like, like her from a distance, or are you going to pursue her? You're going to pursue her. Right? There's a story that I can I use your guys uh, uh, Bob and Karen, can I get your guys uh, illustration? I forget how Bob says this to members in our church. But Bob says that he pursued and pursued and pursued and pursued, pursued his, his, his now wife until she just finally gave up and gave in. <laughs> is that the, are those the words we use? So much so that, this is a great story, that just this week, Bob ran into someone he hadn't seen in like, I don't know, 30 years or however long he's been practicing law. And, and the guy that Bob ran into realized that Bob was married to Karen, and he was like, her? She married you? That was before Bob was a Christian, so. What's the point here, Pastor? <laughs> Bob is not God. <laughs> but just as Bob pursued just as you gentlemen who are here pursued your wives, your girlfriends, just as you pursued them, and, and maybe they liked you back, but, but you know, sometimes women make, make men, make us work a little harder, and that's probably a good thing until they pretend that we finally won them over. Um, but just as we pursue people, that's how God has been relentlessly pursuing you. Because God doesn't create this universe and then say, oh, I'm done with you. But rather, if we as sinful human beings, as imperfect as we are, are able to pursue with such great intensity because we love someone or we think we do, then how much more will the God who creates love pursue you so that you can spend an eternity with God? Repentance is wanting to live in an eternal relationship with the God who wants your very best. Amen. Repentance is about understanding that to live for yourself is foolish and that to live the life that God has created for you is the best possible life. Now, repentance is that turning from yourself to God. It's not the same thing as confession, or, or right, or asking for forgiveness. That's like... You can't ask for forgiveness until you realize that you are in desperate need of forgiveness. Repentance comes, and when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God has come near, he was saying, I am the first fruit of this new kingdom. A new age is dawning, and it is right here in the flesh, right in front of you. That's why Christmas is so important is that God sends to a people in darkness who were feeling like there was no more hope. God sends his son, Jesus. So God takes human form and he says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus later goes on to say that the kingdom of heaven is within you. That's why if our governments don't make the laws that we like as Christians, that's okay. We don't need our government to legislate morality. Because first of all, the president's not like a pastor. (laughs) our congress our senate like that that's it's a government that's that's a kingdom of this world and god says my kingdom is not of this world we don't need them to make the rules and the laws that we want like obviously you know it's okay to vote and obviously we want to you know do what's best right what we think is best for the country but they don't have to make the laws based on the scriptures because that's not the kingdom of god The kingdom of God is what happens within you. And as you begin to live your life and you begin to live a life of service, as you bless other people, as you love other people, as you share the message of Jesus to other people, that is the kingdom of God. In a world of darkness, when we gather in churches, this is our resistance to the darkness. It is all of the good things that we do for those that God created that during the time of Advent, we make a declarative statement that we will not allow the darkness of this world to overcome our joy and our light, which is Christ. When Jesus comes and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, what he is saying is that don't look for this kingdom to be something that it's not jesus doesn't need governments and he doesn't need kings and he doesn't need princes what jesus needs is you and what i mean by that is this as he pursues you he just wants you to be able to accept that what he says is true As we saw the picture on the screen of the guy that says repent or else right like because that's going to convince someone But what the Bible tells us about repentance is this. And this this goes for those of you who perhaps there's someone in your life and and maybe you feel like they're not living the life they should be or maybe they haven't surrendered to to Jesus or maybe they don't come to church. Remember that when you point the finger at someone in judgment, they might point another finger back at you. The way of repentance, the way of God's way of repentance is this. Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Does it say that God's judgment is meant to lead you to repentance? Does it say that a a very highly, uh, what is it, an airtight argument on why you need to repent is going to lead someone to repentance? It might. (laughs) But the model, and the pattern that we have in the scriptures of what repentance looks like is that God's kindness is meant to lead people to repentance. And if we are followers of God in the flesh, if we are followers of Jesus, then we must lead with kindness first. Always kindness. I mean, there's never a time where you can yell at someone and say they have to repent. I don't think. I don't think the Bible says that. Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Repentance, then, is the invitation for you to finally just give up and surrender to the God who has the best possible life ready for you. Now, that doesn't mean that everything will be perfect the moment you surrender to God. There will still be disease. There will still be death. There will still be broken relationships. There will still be layoffs. There will still be flat tires. There will still be pain and suffering because we understand that we live in a world that isn't as it should be. But that's okay because during this season of Advent, we are reminded that we have a light, a light that cannot be extinguished by the darkness. And as you march closer to to December 25th, it's my invitation that you would continually and daily turn, o- turn your life over to Christ. That every single day you would surrender, not that you would surrender not to do your will, but to do the will of the God who has the best interest in heart for you. So when we hear the words of Jesus to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus is saying something new is happening and you are invited to be a part of this kingdom one that will last into all eternity. Amen.